You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 53 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, January 28th, 2016. Recording with us today are Shane Cole, and also on the line is Neil Hughes. The top story of the morning is that Apple is recalling some AC adapters and world travel kits in parts of South America, Europe, Asia, and Oceania. Um, what What's the recall for, Neil? What's, what's failed here? Uh, there's some AC adapters that apparently made with cheap Chinese parts or something, um, and it affects a pretty wide swath of them. Um, we're talking about Mac and iOS devices that ship between 2003 and 2015, so... Uh, there are a total of 12 incidents around the world where a two-pronged AC wall adapter broke and resulted in an electrical shock when the user touched it. So uh, people should definitely, if they live in the affected markets, uh, check and make sure that they don't have an affected one. Um, you can identify the affected one by checking inside of the um, uh, adapter for the two-pronged plug. Uh, and if it has uh, numbers uh, kind of written sideways in there, um, then you have an affected plug that you need replaced. If it has a box with EURs in Europe uh, inside, then uh, then you're then it should be okay. Or there are other regions too. Uh, it's not just EUR. There's also AUS, whatever. Um, but not only if you live in those places, if you just traveled there and happened to buy an adapter because you needed one on the spot, right? So don't die. So this isn't the power product itself. This is the the little duckhead adapter that has the wall prongs, right? Okay. So check your wall adapters, check your little prongs, and make sure that you are not affected. If you are affected, what can you do? You can go ahead and uh, visit apple.com support and find... Uh, slash support slash AC hyphen wall plug hyphen adapter. For information on exchanging an adapter for a new redesigned model. Yep. So this is not the first power product that's ever had a, a recall. I remember years ago, one of the, the iPhone USB power supplies had a recall. And, and back then, the way that you identified it was there was a little green dot on the, the revised one. Right. Um, what else has, has been recalled in, in recent past? Uh, there have been occasional battery issues, stuff like that. Um, I remember there was one with one of the iPod Nanos or something had a recall. Um, and I, wasn't there one with one of the MacBooks with the screens or something? Uh, yeah, if we're not talking about just power recalls, yeah, there have been a few. Right, there have I been mean, a the few. last one was uh, the app, third gen Apple TV, if you were recalled last year. Yep. Um, there was the uh, the the thing that I got hit with with the 2011 MacBook Pro graphics problems, where they just replaced the whole logic board eventually. That took forever. That was oh man, I'm, I'm even blanking which graphics chipset that was. It was the Nvidia model terrible? Yeah. And there was also a recall last year for the Beats Pill XL. Um, I guess that uh, yeah. there was a potential fire hazard with the battery on that. So Yeah, that one exploded or something. <laughs> Which was really good for everyone who bought it when it was on sale. Right. Because they got the full retail price back for it. So, well done if you bought a Beats Pill for like $100 and it got the full 350 MSRP back. Yeah, very nice. Other big news uh, this week was the first quarter earnings call for Apple. There were a lot of things that came out of this earnings call. Uh, Shane, do you remember some of them? Um, well, I wasn't around, but I do remember some of them. Uh, Apple sold a lot of iPhones. Uh, Apple made a lot of money. The biggest quarter, $18 billion and change, the biggest quarterly profit for any company ever in the history of recorded company history. Uh, 74.8 was it or 77.8 million iPhones which is still not the biggest selling single smartphone line in the world for some reason and the first ever decline in iPhone sales so there you go it's hard for people who aren't watching this stuff closely to try and reconcile that it was that huge a number and yet this was also a decline so what do you what do you say to explain that to people well it's not a decline yet they forecast a decline. Oh. They're forecasting a decline for their next quarter, the March quarter. They still grew. They, they sold 300,000 more iPhones this year than they did last year in the, in the holiday quarter. 
Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem is, look, everyone around the world who can afford an iPhone and wants an iPhone has an iPhone. So you either have to convince people to upgrade. You have to convince them to spend another $700 to upgrade their phone, uh, which from the six to the success, it was not very convincing. Or you have to get people who are freshly into the middle class and can afford now to suddenly buy an iPhone when they couldn't before. Uh, because it's still an aspirational product, you know, regardless of where you look. Or you have to depend on people dumping Android, uh, high-end Android devices. And I don't know exactly what the... I, there, I haven't seen any data that breaks down Android switching by um, by device, I guess, level. You know, high-end versus mid versus low-end. But I suspect that if you're buying like a Galaxy S5 uh, for full unsubsidized price, you're probably happy with Android in your Galaxy S5. You know, it's the the Android switchers, I suspect, are mostly coming from the low end of the market. And there's only so many of them that you can switch. Right, a lower end or maybe perhaps an older Samsung device, right? Yeah, like if they bought a, a Galaxy S3 or something three years ago and they decided now it's time to upgrade, they may, deter- they may consider an iPhone. But I don't think anybody's just going to give up their S5 or their S6 and say, hey, I'm going to buy a new 6S because I can push the screen harder. One of the interesting things was that Apple announced uh, that they have a billion active devices out there. So you got to wonder, too, how many of those are like used ones purchased or hand-me-downs, old Macs, yeah. old iPhones, that kind of stuff. There's a huge market for resold Apple devices. And with a billion active devices out there, that's where Apple's kind of playing up this whole uh, ecosystem um, and the money that they can make off that. Um, that was a big emphasis for them on this quarter's earnings call, just kind of reminding investors that they have a lot going on outside of their hardware sales, even though hardware sales bring in the bulk of the money. One of the things that I remember reading from the, the transcript of this was that people are still trying to get used to the the iPhone upgrade plan, that, that it's sort of something they're still figuring out, and that um, 60% of people haven't upgraded their iPhone to a 6 or a 6S model. I don't, I don't know if it's just the iPhone, the iPhone upgrade plan itself, or people, especially in the U.S., are getting used to the idea of not having a device subsidy. Like that's the bigger problem because when you when you pay a hundred dollars or one hundred and ninety nine dollars upfront for your phone, you don't your bill doesn't come itemized with you paid another forty dollars this month for your phone. You know, you just say I paid one hundred ninety nine dollars for this. My plan will be X per month, and that's that. But now that subsidies are gone, there is a line item for that. And people are beginning to look at that and say, do I really need to spend $40 a month on a phone? Yeah. I think that's, there's a lot of, they love using the word headwinds. So I'm going to use it again. There's a lot of headwinds there of convincing people that this is actually a worthwhile expenditure. Do you think when the iPhone 7 rolls around that people's devices they've been carrying on will have been old and long and tooth now and, and make the upgrade at that point? I mean, it depends how compelling the iPhone 7 is. You know, I mean, if it's the 6 to 6S, then I don't know because there's not a whole lot that's compelling about it. The other thing you have to look at is if you think of mobile phones as mobile phones, then it's difficult to get a clear picture of the upgrade path. But if you think of mobile phones as tiny PCs, right, it's what we've been saying about the Mac for a long time. It's good enough where it is for a lot of people. You and I had the conversation the other day about why the Mac Mini shouldn't get an update because the people who are going to buy it are happy with what it is for now. And I think you're going to see the same thing as smartphones get higher and higher end. There's going to have to be a significantly... A, the bar for uh, the bar for compelling someone to spend $1,000 on a new phone is going to continue to be higher and higher and higher. So the only way to make to sustain growth is either to expand the number of people who can buy your phones either by going lower in price or waiting for more people <laughs> to get rich or to come up with some kind of hardware thing that says hey you this is something you have to have you know and if it's just two cameras in the iphone 7 then i don't know if that's going to be it uh, well if you're coming from an iphone 5 right or you're coming from a 4s then it's probably compelling if you're coming from a 6 it may not be well, it's, it's a no-brainer from a even from a six or a six S if you're only paying a hundred bucks and you don't have that line item on your bill. Yeah, that's that's the key. You have to get over the psychological hurdle. 
you know, because people are anchored at one price point, and when you go significantly above that price point, it becomes a game of well, why should I spend this money? You you break expectations and you break the the threshold. We've we've gotten into an accelerated society, global society of people wanting shiny new things, and they like things that look different. And I think a big part of this is the 6S has a lot of great upgrades in it and performance improvements, but it looks the same, and so people aren't as excited. And let's not forget that that's a big part of it. As stupid as that may be, that's a big part of it. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And you got to wonder if Apple going forward is seeing the performance of the 6S and saying, hey, we got a really great phone here, and it's not selling quite as much as we'd like it to. Maybe we should, you know, stop this like TikTok design thing and just tweak the design a little bit for the S year or something to give it something to stand out a little more. I, w- I wonder if that would juice sales, you know. I mean, that's a dangerous path to go down. You're, you're turning into D- Detroit just putting a spoiler on something. But, um, right, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's a great idea, but you have to think those kind of discussions are happening at Cupertino just because they're going to see the first ever decline in iPhone sales and the success is a great phone. I don't know how true this is, but I've heard it said by a few people that the reason that TikTok exists is to give the hardware engineering team a cycle where they know what the uh, what the, the platform is going to look like, mm-hmm. right? So they know which benchmarks they have to hit, and that lets them push the envelope a little further. Because when you're developing both at the same time, you don't know how big the phone is going to be or, or what you're going to have, what kind of envelope you're going to have to play with. Right. Then there's, there are trade-offs that have to be made. So giving them an extra year. Are, are you just talking about like to, physical dimensions or are you thinking about, uh, I'm talking about the internals. Okay. So the, you have, you keep the physical dimensions as similar as the physical design as similar as possible so that the hardware, the internal engineering team has two years in which to perfect that, um, that iteration. Yeah. Rather than having to deal with the, more slow pace of a brand new industrial design because there are trade-offs that had to be made. So what do you think about this breaking out services where they, they've really started to document the, the size and scope and growth of, of their services that they provide? I mean, it doesn't change the fact that most of the money that Apple makes comes from one product, the iPhone. I mean, it's cool that they're highlighting the services and certainly it's a huge business that any other company on the planet would like to have. But it doesn't change the fact that this is an iPhone company. Um, iPad sales are down 25% year over year last quarter. Uh, the iPhone up a little bit. The Mac was down. And revenue was up because the iPhone was up and the average selling price of an iPhone went up by like three or four bucks as well. So as the iPhone goes, so goes Apple. And they're going to see a revenue decline next quarter because they're projecting the first ever year-over-year iPhone unit decline. That's just the way it is. And so, yeah, they're a services company. Yeah, they've got a new Apple TV out. Yeah, they are expanding new markets like the Apple Watch. But, I mean, the iPhone is so freaking huge that nothing else is going to move the needle as much as it's going to depend on the iPhone. That's really what it's all about. Well, you said a second ago, where they made a big deal of there being a billion active devices, right? Right. It, that combined with breaking out services, combined with the, for the first time ever, I think, uh, putting in their earnings statement the earnings on a constant, cur- constant currency basis, right. is painting a picture and saying, look, we are selling a crap load of iPhones, but it's going to be slow. And it's going to be slow down because like we said, all the people who have iPhones or who want iPhones have iPhones, right. but we have this whole ecosystem built around it, you know? So in the short, there might be some short term pain, but in the long time or in the long term, we're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the picture they're trying to make. Yeah. Right the now. narrative that they're selling is that, that, you know, they can't say it because they don't project beyond the next quarter, but they're implying very heavily that they expect the iPhone to return to growth either with the launch of an iPhone 7 later this year or um, maybe get goosed a little bit by a 4-inch iPhone coming out in the next couple months or just when global economies improve. You know, you have a lot of problems going on in China. Uh, Sales declined uh, year over year in in North America. So, you know, Apple is dealing with a few factors, including a saturation point of where everybody that wants an iPhone has an iPhone in 
established markets, but there's also a lot of potential in emerging markets like China where they still managed to grow something like 15% last quarter. Um, it's not quite the same 100% year-over-year growth, but how long can you sustain those numbers, you know? Um, and there's a lot of uh, uh, potential in what they call the BRIC countries. Um, Brazil and, and India in particular have been highlighted by Tim Cook as places where they see room for growth. Um, Apple might have to introduce some new products at new price points, like the new 4-inch iPhone, see where that gets priced, um, to address those markets. Uh, certainly, they've done a good job, obviously, in China. Uh, and, uh, you know, the conventional wisdom is that the gold and rose gold uh, iPhone and watch models were made mostly for China because that's kind of uh, culturally um, appealing there. So I think as Apple starts to focus on those areas as well, and um, they already have a locked-in group of people that are going to upgrade to new iPhones, I mean, the company's going to be fine. It's not. There's going to be a lot of talk about doom and gloom because it's the first time ever, but it was inevitable. It had to happen. Yeah. Some somebody wrote into us into our tips box this morning, and I I'm sorry, Eric. I wrote a reply to you, but I wrote it sarcastically and only sent it to our employees. But um, the, he was asking, so what about the st- Why was the reaction by Wall Street to this so ridiculous, right? It's the, the biggest quarterly profit by any company in history. And they had this massive stock buyback and dividend program. Why are people being like this? And the easy short answer to this is there are two classes of investors. There are retail investors and then there are institutional investors, right? Retail investors want a really short term by, by and large, they want a short-term profit, right? They want to buy it at $100 today and cash out at $200 in a year. Yeah, institutional investors, I mean, and you can think of people like Warren Buffett as an institutional investor. They want to hold a stock for 20, 30, 40 years. And what they care about is consistency over the long term. And as Apple matures, and especially as the iPhone, well, I guess Apple's already mature, it's 40 years old now, but as the iPhone matures, the types of investors that are in the stock are going to change. And the ones who are getting out are the retail investors and are also the loud ones. You know, they're the ones making the noise and saying, we don't want the stock anymore because they're investing based primarily on potential for hyper growth, which doesn't exist with the iPhone anymore. So as that shift happens, there will be some people that are being loud and saying this is crap and it's terrible and it's going to end. But in reality, everything will be fine. Warren Buffett will buy, in two years, he'll buy half of Apple and he'll hold it for the next 40. So it'll be okay. What about this virtual reality comment? Right? There was this... uh, It was uh, Gene Munster, analyst with Piper Jaffray, who asked him about it because... He's convinced that that's Apple's next. Well, he famously wanted an Apple television set, and he's not getting it. I was just going to say, is VR and Jeans new Apple TV? Well, Um, the fact that Tim Cook said that he thinks that VR is cool and not a niche. I mean, he could say that about anything, you know. If someone asked him, what do you think about cars? You think cars are a niche? Cars are cool, man. Yeah, people. What do you think about residential nuclear power, (laughs) Mr. Cook? You know, uh, ask them about solar. They're not getting in the solar business, but they have plenty of solar power. So I could see, um, you know, products. They're certainly already out there. uh, Google cardboard based stuff that turn your iPhone into um, a, a low cost virtual reality set. Um, I could see accessories similar to what Samsung's doing with their Gear VR, which works with their, um, their some of their phone models. So, yeah, I mean, sure, Apple stands to benefit from VR in some ways, but I, I can't see them specifically making a virtual reality product. It, it doesn't... Wait, but didn't they purchase Mateo and some of the other VR companies out there? They've got some investment in, in technologies, right? Right, but you have to think about ways that you could use that kind of stuff. They also own um, uh, whoever made Connect or Microsoft Xbox Connect, the first generation one. Uh, Prime Sense. There's a lot of stuff in there where virtual and augmented reality can be applied in ways that are not what we're talking about when we talk about Oculus Rift and stuff like that. Um, great examples would be. 
uh, augmented reality apps on your iPhone that use the camera and stuff like that. Apple's looking at, for example, I'm getting into the indoor GPS mapping business where you could go to the mall and it would have a map of the mall and tell you your exact location there in places where you can't get a traditional GPS signal. Those are extensions of virtual and more so augmented reality. Um, and some of the companies that Apple acquired could do things like that. Like, for example, um, sensing distance uh, is a big part of that. And that would be where Prime Sense and their Connect might come in in terms of sensing motion and all that. You look at devices like uh, the Apple Watch and you think about some of the technology in there. It tracks your movement. It knows when you're looking at it and the screen automatically turns on. Uh, take those kinds of features and start to think about how they could apply to future iPhones and iPads and Macs and stuff like that. Uh, something like Leap Motion. There's a lot of different ways of interacting with devices that I'm sure Apple is experimenting with. And I'm sure in their Skunkworks lab, they've probably built some really cool VR headset or something, but that's not a product that's going to come to market. I can't see Apple interested in getting in that segment of the market. The, the benefits for them there would be basically none. You know, VR has a few applications that are pretty cool, and I expect that they're going to grow over time, but it's not as much of a broad mass market product as Apple would be interested in selling. Not to mention that right now, to do really great VR takes a lot of computing horsepower. Right. And that's not going to change for the next five or seven years. So even if there is eventually an Apple VR headset, which I think would be hilarious, it's not going to be anytime in the near future. I have Google Cardboard, and I tested out a bunch of apps um, and wrote an article earlier this year, and, and we can put it in the show notes. Um, I mean, it's cool. Uh, I, I was... I, I found it to be pretty neat. Um, the quality is not great, as you would expect. Uh, is the, is, is the quality is, not great just because you're looking at the screen that close and can see the pixels? Or? Yeah, I mean, they've got uh, Google Cardboard has these like special lenses that blow up each side of the phone to to make it bigger, so it takes up a larger field of view. But you can still see the individual pixels even with a Retina display on an iPhone success. Um, and it, it's also laggy. Um, just the the uh, processing power required and uh, the movement with gyroscopes and stuff like that. That's one of the biggest things that uh, companies like Oculus have had to overcome in developing theirs is uh, making it as low latency as possible because when there's a disconnect between your head moving and what your eyes are seeing, your brain just cannot handle it and it'll give you a headache. Um, so the whole point of Google Cardboard really is a low-cost way for developers and enthusiasts to kind of dabble in it and mess around with it. But it's not meant to be a final shipping product for the average person. You'll, you'll be sick in two minutes from using Google Cardboard. Right. And, and what I have, I was talking with some companies that are doing VR uh, a week and a half ago. And what they were telling me is that it's not the, the lag that's the problem, uh, that mostly that's overcome on some things. Some, some apps are terrible at it, but mostly it's good. The problem is that the lenses are so small. And, and that you you lose peripheral vision, and because you lose the peripheral vision, that's what's causing the headaches and the motion sickness. Yeah, certainly. I, I think that there's a lot of factors at play when you're going with a cheap VR knockoff. It's, you know, something like Oculus is where the market is going to start to make real inroads with people. But even that is going to apply to specific use case scenarios like gamers or, you know, uh, I could see retail or, um, you know, some some sort of environments like that where VR would be a hit. But for mom and pop to buy a VR set and bring it home and plug in six USB ports to a high-powered computer, I mean, that's, that's no, never no, going to no, happen. No, that's, that's crazy. But let's let's think about this a little differently. Uh, so right now I've got the two of you on the record as saying that, that VR is not a hobby and they're not going to make anything for it. No, no, not no. Apple tomorrow. Headset. Okay. Yeah, not tomorrow. I mean, they're not going to. They're not going to get right. into the hardware business. They're not going to make a VR headset. Okay. So yeah. you know, what if you had, and, and this is skipping ahead a little bit, but what if you had a, ca- a phone that had a couple of cameras on it, for example, and you could take your pictures and movies in stereo, and then be able to send them to someone who could pop in their their cheap VR headset and then see your movies, your family photos in VR. You know, we get away from this gaming application. There are a lot of other applications outside of it that get interesting. Well, to to film something in VR, you'd need a huge field of view of at least, you know. I saw several VR cameras at CES. 
just saying. Yeah, but those aren't going to be on a phone. Those are like 360-degree cameras, right? Yeah, but, you know, if you film just 180 and and still view in stereo, you can see your... uh, You need like a fisheye lens and you'd need it uh, two cameras so you could get uh, depth and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, sure, that's certainly possible. And that's why I say when Apple has acquired these VR companies, that's where their interest might be, Um, you know, in camera technology, in augmented reality applications and stuff like that. But in terms of selling a headset that you can put on so you can travel to Mars or something, Apple's not going to do that. No, that, that's not. But it depends on how you're looking at virtual reality. When we're talking about virtual reality and we're talking about, you know, what Gene Munster is asking Tim Cook, the the thought that everybody is having there is Apple is interested in making a headset. Apple's not interested yeah, there's in making not gonna a There's not going to be an Apple rift. No, but Apple is interested in how VR and AR can uh add to their ecosystem and make their products better. And so if your uh, uh, augmented reality is, you know, uh, like I was saying, with maps or overlays or something like that, something that could make uh, GPS uh, or, or navigation more valuable, that's a form of augmented reality, and it doesn't require putting a thing up to your face. Yeah, and I think that they'd spend some attention on how to make your family photos and family videos um, augmented because that's Honestly. another big thing. Yeah, I mean, live, if I could get some photo. augmented, if I could get some augmented reality showing me the way to the store that I want in the mall, that's all I'm asking for. Right, there are a lot of great applications here that are beyond the scope of strapping something to your face. It, but what we're talking about is a broader definition of virtual and augmented reality. Um, yeah. the, the problem is right now when people talk about it, it's a very specific application. So yes, Apple's bought some VR companies, but what they're going to do with it is going to be completely different. Um, And there are all kinds of ways that they could apply this stuff, particularly when it comes to the use of cameras, um, taking photos, augmented reality, that sort of stuff. But they're not going to strap something to your face. And like you said, don't discount that the actual purposes of some of these acquisitions may not be the face value of these acquisitions. Right. Right. It may be one specific piece of technology or one specific vertical of knowledge that they want. And they could only get by acquiring the company or the people within the company. So, right. I mean, to transition here, there was a rumor that came out this week about a dual iPhone camera, um, exclusive to this. Yeah. I said I was skipping ahead. Well, but it's relevant here because yeah. you're looking at at some of these companies that they've acquired, and uh, you, you think of all the technology that went into Connect and everything that PrimeSense has. All of their products that they were developing were based on multi-camera systems that could do things like sense motion, track distance, all that sort of stuff. So when you think about Apple having an advanced camera system in a new iPhone with multiple lenses you now have the ability to combine all of those input methods to see the world in a completely different way that your phone can't currently see it. And part of it would just be taking better photos, but then there's there's other things that you could do too. So one of the rumors is that one of the lenses might have a zoom function on it, uh, a, a physical zoom um, that would be better than the current optical zoom capabilities, which basically are just blowing up the picture and giving Digital you a Digital zoom. Yeah. Uh, sorry, digital zoom. Thank right, you. Right, so optical image stabilization on one with a wider field of view, and the other would be uh, a, a telephoto lens. Right. Um, now, the physics of that aren't going to be so great, so I question that. And maybe there's some magic they could do with combining pixels or something. I, I don't know. You can't make pixels where, where they're not there, but I'm also not a camera expert uh, in terms of small form cameras. So I don't know how it would work, but. Uh, certainly when you have multiple lenses, and this isn't the first time something like this has been done. I think HTC had a multi-lens uh, camera as well. It's also not the first time we've had this rumor. We had it uh, right. come up in 2014 as well. Yeah, and, and where there's smoke, there's fire. The fact that we've heard this a few times means it's probably in the works whether or not it's coming out this year. Um, and I would be upset. The rumor is that it's only going to be in the 7 Plus and not in the iPhone 7. I would be upset if that were the case because I... Well, that, that tracks who, the, the 6 Plus announcement where the 6 Plus got the optical image stabilization. Right, yeah. They only had hardware op- optical image stabilization in the 6S Plus, and I believe it was it was even enhanced in the 6S versus the 6. Um, so the, the, the difference has gotten wider. And there's there's even a rumor that 
uh, only the 7 Plus this year will get 3 gigs of RAM, while the 7 will stay with 2 gigs of RAM. So it seems like Apple might be differentiating um, in a way kind of like you can only get a dedicated graphics card on a 15-inch MacBook Pro versus a 13-inch. So um, I, I think that there's probably something to this rumor just because it's been around for so long. Um and this is based on a uh, company that Apple acquired uh, called Lynx, uh, who specializes in these dual camera setups. But then again, remember PrimeSense and Mateo and some of these other uh, acquisitions they've made that would also apply um, in terms of that. Uh, and again, we're talking face recognition, that kind of stuff. So um, one of the things that Johnny Ive said in an interview last year was that um, the fact that you have to press a button on your iPhone to turn the screen on seems kind of antiquated and he was talking about how great it is with the apple watch that you just turn it towards your face and then it turns on so there's been some applications in the past uh, google has certainly done it where um your phone will recognize your face and then automatically unlock and stuff like that so you could think about stuff like that that could be possible with more advanced camera ar- arrays and and those sorts of things um and they might be d- done in ways that are a little more secure and a little more functional um, than they've been done in the past. So those are the kind of things that you need to think about when you look at the future of VR and AR and how it applies to Apple. Right. Let's move on. Let's talk about Project Titan. So Project Titan is the car project. And last week we talked about how they'd lost their head, that the person running the department of it was was out and moved on to another organization. So what's going on this week? When you said that, I thought you meant they'd lost their head, as in they had gone crazy. Well, they probably have, but... Either way would be fine, yeah. No, so I guess the the news this week is we have a a source. Yes, that's right. This is an an exclusive. organization with sources. We have a source who uh, knows, for whatever reason the source knows, what's going on at Apple, and specifically on this project. And said source informed us that the whole team is in a hiring freeze. Uh, Johnny I went on vacation for the holidays as people are wont to do and when he came back he looked at the the whatever I'm not going to call it a car because it's not a car he looked at he looked the state at whatever of the project it is. yes he looked at the he looked at the titan that they have in the basement and said I don't like this and they stopped while they figure it out did he look at the project or did he just look at the amount of progress and the lack thereof that they'd made uh, it's not clear I think the idea is that he looked at where they were, the direction they were heading, and then said, I don't like this. And because he is, for all intents and purposes, now running the product side of so Apple. So he took the paper and balled uh, it up into a, into a ball and threw it in the trash can and said, stop everything. That's the word. There is something we didn't put in that piece uh, that our source also said, which is that there's no direct line between Johnny Ive and the guy who left, but you can connect the dots between them pretty easily. So that's unconfirmed, though. So there's that. I'm trying to figure out what you mean by that. I mean, the what our guy said is that while there is no direct line between Johnny's unhappy and this guy got fired, okay. it's easy to draw the lines between Johnny coming back, being unhappy, and this guy's, and this guy's departure. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything else we should know about this rumor? Uh, about I'm sorry, about this report? That's I don't kind think of the so, news. other than that this is a really boring episode of the podcast. This was a really boring segment, at least. <laughs> it, it comes back to you know your statement two weeks ago saying Apple's never going to actually make a car. And you know if Johnny's not happy with the direction, they probably never will. But if they were just making technology for cars that they were going to sell into BMW or Mercedes, whoever, then his being unhappy with the direction you know, probably wouldn't be a hiring freeze and as catastrophic as all this sounds. You, you well, that's a valid point. You still think and they're I not making fu- a car, or you think I fully respect what you're saying, but I still think d- they're not disagree making a completely. Car. Got it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's move on. Apple iPad Air three rumor. So there's a rumor about that says that the next iPad Air three is going to have 4K resolution. Nope. No. Do I have that wrong? Next. No, you're, you're right. It's no, we, we mean we mean no. It's not going to happen. It's a dumb rumor. It's a dumb rumor. Okay. Yeah. And and why do you say no? Why is it because no? Because the is iPad it? Pro is their flagship model, and they're not going to put out a new model that's going to make it seem less in any way. Right. If anything, if anything, the iPad Air three will match specs of the iPad Pro, but they're not going to they're not going to sell a five hundred dollar model that 
is undercuts the the pro model. Yeah, th- that would be stupid of them to do. But what are they doing also, to counter this this drop in year on year sales of iPads? Are they just going to presume that matching the specs of the pro is going to keep it alive, or what? Yeah, I mean that's their best selling model is the is the the original size. So, um, you got to think that you know the question becomes: Do we get how much of the pro do we get in a smaller form factor? So do we get the four gigs of RAM? Do we get the smart connector? Do we get the um, uh, uh, pencil support? The pencil? They better get the pencil. I'm being mad. Split view? Well, you already have that on. Uh, on oh, you get that on the airs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. With the A8X processor. So yeah, you'll have all that. Um, okay. The, 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 the real issue now for the iPad for me, and I say this as somebody who's a huge proponent as the iPad as a, true computing device uh is on the software front uh it's just the hardware is great and the software is just not there yet and it's getting there but it needs a lot of work and in some ways they need to kind of rethink how ios operates on a tablet uh to give it that that those capabilities like for example if you want to do um slide over or you want to do split view and you want to open an app there's just a list of recently used apps on there, and that's it. There's no way to customize it, organize it. No, it, it, it's kind of crazy. You actually. swipe over, it's and not then even you scroll, 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 and find the thing you're looking every, for, and it's atrocious. Yeah, yeah, it's every split view compatible app is the worst part. Not just the recent ones. Yeah, so you know things like that need some work. Um, obviously, multi-user support is something that they're going to introduce uh, with 9.3 for schools, but you know for the household that would be a nice feature. Uh, input methods. Uh, we need better keyboards than we have right now with a smart connector. Um, the two options available, neither of them are, are great. You get um, Apple or you get Logitech. And of those two, Apple is the good one, right? I've got both of them and uh, really neither of them are that great. Um, the Logitech is better for using on your lap. Um, but it's a case style, a folio style. So you have to have your iPad encased in hard plastic and you can't take it out. And I don't want to just have my iPad be a poor man's laptop for a while. Um, I, sometimes I like to just have it and use it as a tablet. So it's that versatility and that ability to easily connect it. Apple's addresses that. I think but the problem there is you can't use it on your lap because it's so flimsy. All right, Shane? If Microsoft and Apple could get together and... Microsoft could convince Craig Federighi to put OS some variant of OS 10 on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And then Craig Federighi could convince Microsoft to actually force developers to create tablet-optimized apps. You would have two really extraordinary tablet operating systems. right? Windows 10 is really great on a tablet. The apps, the applications on Windows 10 are not built even Microsoft's own tablet optimized versions of office really, really, really suck on, uh, on a service. How are they on iPad for you? No office on iPad is great. Okay. But office on surface is trying to be desktop office and it totally fails. Yeah. And on the iPad you need, especially on the iPad pro, you need professional quality apps. The fact that I can't run Photoshop on my iPad is not Adobe's fault. Right, it's Apple's fault for not enabling that level of professional application. The fact that I can't use my iPad as a uh, an AirSats Wacom Cintiq is a whole other thing that I don't even want to get into because it just make me mad. But that's what needs to happen. Microsoft needs better tablet app support, and Apple needs better pro. I, I don't want to call them professional users, but I'm going to professional app support. Especially the iPad Pro has to be closer to a laptop than it is to an iPad. If this is, as they say, their vision of computing and the future of computing, then they need to darn well hurry up and get there. Yeah, the, the future, I'm sorry, the future of computing is not me pushing a ball around on my screen with my finger. It's not. <laughs> the, the, the future of computing is your device is what you need at that moment in time. Sometimes you need yeah. a tablet, sometimes you just need a phone, sometimes you need a laptop. And uh, if you have an iPad that can serve those roles of laptop and tablet as you need, that really is the future of that style of computing. Then it just becomes a question of how big of a screen do you want. 
Um, what did, didn't Schiller say? We think you should use the smallest device that you can use to accomplish that task. Right. Like that's their idea. Yeah. You should use it. If you can get it done with an iPhone, you do that. If you can get it done with an iPad mini, you do that, et cetera. On yeah, up. on up until you need to use a Mac or something. And if you need it, that's fine. And I get it. You know, the iPad's never really going to truly replace the Mac. But well, you for, say that. for 90% of people, for 90% of their computing needs, the iPad can get the job yeah. done, even as it is now. It just needs to get better at it, more efficient. We need to make it easier to multitask and do things at once, and they're getting there. Um, I know that Apple is really hanging on and doesn't want to add any form of cursor support but for the instances where cursor support would be very helpful like when you're you know editing text in a document or something like that or well now if you're using a keyboard you have cursor support don't you well i, I mean like a track pad or oh okay a, a yeah okay that's yeah. that's different than cursors what, what what neil means is when you're so I have I've been staunchly anti iPad Pro because it's enormous and I don't feel like I should have a tablet that's the size of my MacBook Pro to carry around. But I really want a, the pencil because I want to be able to stop carrying a notebook and an iPad to meetings. So I have been using a friend of mine's iPad Pro when I can for a few days. And Neil is absolutely right that when you have the keyboard, you expect when you have the keyboard and an iPad in that orientation, you expect a trackpad. You know, it's really awkward using the keyboard and then having to go point on the screen. I mean, the yes, OS doesn't yes, even have proper, proper support for the keyboard for basic stuff like scrolling with the keyboard. There's no yeah. need for you. We're talking about in terms if, of efficiency. Yeah, it does. It does not. We're talking about in terms of efficiency. We're talking about in terms of fatigue and things like that. If, if you're there, typing and you have the keyboard and you want to go page up or page down, you can totally do it. In a word processing document, yes. Okay. But if I open up, for example... Um, uh, Safari, or if I'm in a third-party app, I should be able to just and use... And page up and pinch down work for those, too. Not, and cursors work for those. Not in every app, and not in every instance. You just in named Safari. Okay. okay. So, other apps. So, so, other apps are up to app developers' understanding that they should use the keyboard. They have to add hooks for the keyboard in each one. It's not an OS-level thing. It, the, you, well, here's a great example. So That's if a, I want an example to, of brain damage on Apple's part for not making the keyboard hooks an OS level thing. But let's say I have a keyboard connection, but it's to up my to each app developer, and I want to access the multitasking view. There is a dedicated home button that is not on the iPad itself; that's on the keyboard. You can double press it and pull up the multitasking view. But then, why can't I use the 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 keyboard uh, to scroll left and right through the open apps and select. Why aren't you just using command tab and, and command tabbing to your different apps? Well, you can do that too, but the point is the stuff doesn't work as it should. There should be more universal yeah. keyboard support. I'm with you there. It, it, the OS needs to improve, and I, I realize that they don't want to give us trackpad or mouse input, but it would make, when you're using it like a laptop, it would make the experience that much better. Reaching out to interact with the screen works sometimes, but in a lot of situations where you just want to get stuff done and you want to just precision, like even still with the iPhone success, one of my favorite features with 3D Touch is the ability to scroll the, the cursor on the screen by uh, by th- f- uh, pressing harder on the on-screen keyboard, but it doesn't work that well. Like I'll want to go to the end of a URL and modify it and I'll press hard and then scroll to the right and then it just stops scrolling and then I'll let my thumb up and then I'll press hard again and then it doesn't work. And it's like dealing with a cursor on the screen in iOS is still a frustrating experience, you know, some eight years after they introduced it or whatever we're at now when they added cut, copy, and paste. So it's something that needs to be fixed, and it's something that probably needs to have an optional hardware accessory to allow you to do it. The pencil is a step in the right direction. Doing stuff with the pencil is much better uh, than using your finger for certain applications. Um, do you ever have the problem where you try to use the uh, 3D touch press to move the cursor and it just won't let you do that in the first place. Say that again. So a lot of the time, if I'm somewhere in I on my phone, if I'm trying to use the 3D touch cursor move thing, mm-hmm. it just won't, it yes. won't let me do it. Same thing. Yep. I press as hard as humanly possible yep. and it just puts another L on the screen. Yep. Sometimes it doesn't work the other th- and then sometimes it'll work once and then won't work the second time. Yeah. The other thing that has been pissing me off for seemingly ever since I can remember is that it's almost impossible to trigger a control center when you have a keyboard on the screen. Yes, correct. Like it's that kind of stuff that just drives you mad. Yeah. About iOS. Yep. You know, like they, they you're trying to sell this. 
Yeah, especially with an iPad Pro, you're trying to sell this as a professional, a, a thing that a businessman can take on the road and use, right? But as a guy, as a businessman who lives basically on the road, I value dependability over almost anything else. You know, I, I just need my, it's why I use a Mac. I need my stuff to work. Right. And when it doesn't work, I need someone I can immediately, I can immediately blame mm-hmm. to fix it. <laughs> you know, and you don't have that on iOS. It just doesn't always work. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. The, the iOS 10, iOS 9 was a step in the right direction in terms of adding iPad specific functions, but there are so many little things that are broken that iOS 10 really needs to, uh, just, fix those little things that that yeah i i still have uh and, and i can't figure out how to fix it other than potentially i guess resetting my phone there's still a bug that's existed since uh share sheets were introduced the uh, uh the customizable share sheets where copy and paste does not work properly i will cut or copy something and go to another app to paste it and then it pastes something that i had copied before it doesn't remember my last yeah copy. i get that, that on os 10 yeah, I mean, it happens to me. I don't get an iOS 10, but I get an iOS 9. And I've had it in iOS 8 and I think 7, too. I, I think it's been around for like three years now. It's like, how have we not fixed Reset it? your phone already. Yeah, right. Be a nightmare. Well, so another one, of the, what happened to me is I bought an iPhone 6S and backed up to iCloud and restored from iCloud. Everything was fine. I dropped my, I didn't drop my phone. My phone fell off my coffee table. A fall of one foot onto a carpet. But it fell at exactly the proper like angle that shattered my screen. Oh, so I took my phone back, used my Apple Care Plus, got a new one. And when I restored from iCloud to the second one, all of my health data was gone. All of my uh, call history was gone. All of my iMessage history was gone. And there's no way to get any of it back uh, without, or to get any of it working again without just going and starting from scratch as a new iPhone. Like in health... You know, they should have loaded all this stuff an, back from iCloud, from, from the encrypted so, side of it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. It did, because I can see that I have 750 megabytes of health data. That you can't access. I can't access it. Oh, yeah, exactly. God. And the worst part is that, you know, if you don't have an, an Apple Watch or another activity monitor, your phone just uses itself. Right. right? It's using so the, uh, the motion processor. It doesn't even see itself as a source in health. There, I have no data sources. Okay, so can we talk about iOS nine point three beta? So the second, uh, I can tell you, I can tell you that it doesn't fix my health problems. <laughs> well, that's a personal problem. Yeah, you're going to need a GP for that. Yeah, I know. the uh, second betas for public testers and developers came out for iOS nine point three and OS ten dot eleven dot four this week. Um. Uh, the Mac update, who cares? Uh, iOS 9.3, we've talked about it a few times here. Um, it adds some new features, the night shift mode for making it easy on your eyes at night, stuff like that. Cool. Uh, I wrote a story today. I, I was reluctant to write it because um, it's beta software, and, and there are bugs in beta software, and that happens. And it's not really a story that there's a bug in beta software. So what happened was when 9.3 came out a couple weeks ago, Mikey and I, uh, who both have iPad Pros with Apple Pencils, realized that the way that the Apple Pencil works uh, has changed drastically in iOS I was about to say, this feels like a Mikey story. So I just assumed it was a bug because why would they introduce functionality with the Apple Pencil and have it work and then just yank it? Uh, Mikey... Uh, had a bit of a conspiracy theory that Apple was doing this on purpose to kind of limit how you would use the pencil with your iPad Pro. Uh, then uh, iOS 9.3 Beta 2 came out this week, and the issue still exists. So that was why I decided to write a story this week, um, because it's actually still there and Apple hasn't fixed it. Now, we still don't know if it's a bug or if it's an upcoming change, but what's what's happened is if you're running 9.3 Beta 2, one or two, and you have an Apple Pencil and an iPad Pro, you can no longer do basic navigation functions with the Pencil. So previously, the Pencil could be used to uh, open an app, tap on an app, scroll in any app, um, you know, type on the keyboard, that kind of stuff. Well, since 9.3 came out, you can no longer tap on an app on the home screen to open it with your Pencil. You have to use your finger. You cannot scroll in Safari and things like that. You have to use your finger. And 
uh, Apple has made some comments that they don't want this to be the Apple Pencil be viewed as a stylus because they see it as a markup tool and a drawing tool. And you can still do those functions in iOS 9.3 betas 1 and 2. Uh, you can draw and you can mark up and do stuff with PDFs and stuff like that, but you can no longer use it for basic navigation. And for me, someone who doesn't do a lot of marking up um, or, or drawing, um, I like the navigation abilities of the Apple Pencil, and so I'm, I'm pretty disappointed with the betas thus far. But when the actual software ships, we'll see if that's a change that Apple's made or not. But for right now, if you're running the betas, you can't do it. Let me ask a question. Was there a situation where you were trying to draw and it scrolled instead? No. Was there ever a situation where we were trying to scroll and we're drawing instead? No. So there was never any really confusion about this other than the the emphasis that it seems like Apple's placing on the purpose of this thing. Yeah, I mean, the apps generally have ways of dealing with this on their own anyhow. Like, I have PDF Expert, and I filled out a document when I got my iPad Pro. Um, and you could have it in markup mode, or you could have it in navigation mode, and you just tap whichever cursor you wanted. Palm rejection works fine. Rest my hand on the screen, write what I needed to, and then take it out of uh, the markup mode to do other stuff with the pencil. It worked fine. I just want to say about the story that the comments that you got on the story highlight everything that is wrong with uh, Apple apologists. Yes. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, there are a lot of people in the, in the comments who are like happy about this and think that it's a good thing that Apple is removing it. And, uh, you know, okay. I think my favorite is one guy said, one guy was on your side and said, this would be really annoying to have to put down the pencil just to do something right. and then pick up again. And the next reply to him was, humans generally have two hands. <laughs> Don't you have to use one of those hands to hold the iPad in the first place? Well, the, the whole point is, is not having to move your hands, is, is trying to avoid moving your hands as much as possible, right? You keep, keep your hands where the work is. So having to put something down or use the other hand is not in line with that. Yeah, well not, So if you have ever used an iPad Pro, and if you're a person who draws a lot, um, You'll notice that a lot of drawing apps have controls. Mo- they try to keep them on the left-hand side, right? Or at the very least, along the left and right rails, because that's where your hands would be, you know, if you're trying to keep the iPad steady. Right. And what would really piss me off is if I'm trying to access a control on the right-hand side and I have to shift my hand around to hit it with one of my other fingers because I can't just hit it with the pencil. That would really make me mad. So if you are listening to this and you're one of the people who commented on Neil's story, and thought he was losing his mind because he was upset, know that you are actually the one in the wrong. <laughs> Dear listener, you are the problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. I told I sent Neil when I was reading that. I have a I saw somebody with a, a cross stitch that says never read the comments. And I think I need to nail that to my monitor. Well, on that note, this has been episode fifty three of the Apple Insider Podcast. Shane, where can people find you on the internet? Not in the Apple Insider comments, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> And Neil Hughes, where can people find you on the internet? I'm occasionally in the comments, and uh, if you want to tweet at me, I'm at this is Neil, and uh, you can read me on Apple Insider. And I'm at VMarks on Twitter, and if the future of computing is Neil and Shane chasing the point of a laser pointer around the wall, uh, we'll tell you all about it next week on Apple Insider Podcast. Mm-hmm.